It's a beautiful symbol of submission to God, to the authority of the Scriptures. Uh, Lord, in this space, again, we want to honor you, we want to love you, we want to bless you, we want to worship you with our lives. And thank you for the wonderful truth that you come and use the faltering lips of human beings to communicate your heart and your love to us. In these next moments, Spirit of God, will you come to us and stop our ears where it's necessary, change our hearts, change our attitudes, speak to us. Lord, let us be receptive to your living word to our hearts this day, we pray in Jesus' name. And God's people said, Amen. Amen. I love uh, Hudson Taylor's very provocative thoughts where he said, number one, there is a God. Uh, the second thought was that he has spoken to us in the Bible. And the third uh, preposition is that he means what he says. Do you get the, uh, the provocation of that, my brothers and sisters? Because uh, the, the lights are on, but there doesn't appear to be any, anybody at home this morning. So, uh, really lovely uh, to be with you. So this morning, if we could just uh, pop on the first slide, that would be really helpful. Uh, my subject is a subject that preachers usually like to run away from because it is in itself quite a challenging and conflicted subject. But when I talked to Glenn about it, he said, I think that you should approach this subject this morning. So in part, this is a corona-free uh, message. One of the strange ironies in my life is that my favorite beer has become a global pandemic, <laughs> but um, it's a corona-free message. But this idea, this idea when God seems late is something that sometimes as evangelicals, we find it quite difficult to cope with. What do you say? Um, who hates waiting? Would you put your hand up? If you really, really, really hate waiting, put both of your hands up. I won't ask you to raise your legs because that could seriously damage your health and safety. But I think that the man that stands in front of you this morning has an obsessive compulsive disorder where I hate waiting. I've just got a problem with waiting about everything. When the kettle goes on in the morning, I'm dancing around the kettle saying, bring it on, bring it on, bring it on. I want my first cup of coffee. I don't want it then. I want it now. I want it now. I can't wait for another nanosecond. There's a traffic lights in Whitney, which I'm concerned about, which I think has a spirituality of a, a spiritual power of forces of darkness over it. When it sees me coming, it goes immediately to red. And there I am tapping the table saying, green, 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 bring it on. Am I communicating with you? Do you understand what I'm trying to say this morning? Over the years, I've spent months waiting for airplanes and trains. I just hate waiting. I hate looking at the notice board when it says delayed, delayed, or canceled, or canceled. There's an awful lot more going on. This last fortnight, I've been waiting for train after train after train after train. I'm beginning to think, does God want me to kind of learn something about patience? On the way to Scotland a couple of weeks ago, I sat in Sheffield, an elegant city, I might add, for two hours in a traffic jam, going absolutely nowhere. I was biting the steering wheel by the end of the two hours. It was absolutely incredulous. And this year, I uh, celebrated my 35th wedding anniversary. My wife is a saint, I assure you. But waiting for this very special person in my life to choose a chocolate from a box of chocolates, <laughs> which somehow requires detailed engagement with the contents list, 
what is that about? I mean, I'm six chocolates in by the stage the woman lifts the first chocolate out. What is all this about? I think I'm just a completely impatient person. As a new uh, dad and mum, shortly after we adopted Adam uh, 28 years ago, we went to the uh, famous Seamills uh, Hydro uh, uh, Hotel on the peninsula of Largs, the Clyde. And um, we were new parents, and Christine's mum and dad uh, wanted to bless us with a celebration meal. And so it was one of those four-star hotels where footballers go to. But we went into this palatial uh, restaurant, and there were waiters and waitresses kind of whizzing around, dressed beautifully in the black and white thing. But after 30 minutes, no one had even come to bring us a menu. And we were not alone, we could sense the kind of crackle of adrenaline building and one could hear strange gurglings going on around the restaurant. And our son, Adam, at that stage, just about a year and a half, possessing no social etiquette, saw a waitress out of the side of his eye and as she passed, he roared at the top of his voice, Lady Food! And Christine and I were completely incandescent with embarrassment, you know, going purple and sweating and everything. And yet the entire restaurant applauded him. <laughs> and, uh, amazing, you know, this one and a half year old prophetic child. Um, and interestingly, the maitre d' uh, almost immediately came to our table and just miraculously the food just arrived just like that. The question this morning is, how do we handle waiting? Has your experience been that banging on the table and demanding God's attention gets you anywhere? It's an interesting thought. Life is an important teacher, and Christian life is an even more important teacher. And I think differently today to how I thought when I started out in life. And Carl Jung, the interesting philosopher said, we cannot live the afternoon of life according to the program of life's morning. For what was great in the morning will be little at evening, and what in the morning was true at evening will have become a lie. It, there is an implicit thought there that the years cause us to think differently experience, grief, loss, struggle, challenge, refine us. They have the potential, if we bend into these conflictions, to become the repository of God's wisdom. But that requires a different attitude to life, appliability. Ecclesiastes reminds us to everything there is a season, a time for every purpose under heaven. And we're talking today about when God seems late, when, in actual fact, God doesn't make sense. Now, you might be thinking, what kind of a character is this standing in front of us in the house of God speaking such an irreverent thought? I don't think God is at all phased by my irreverent thoughts. I think what he requires from me is my honesty. And I don't think he finds my honesty difficult in any way. See, I don't think 
dogmatism is helpful. I think thinking is helpful and listening is helpful. And the reality is that here this morning there will be a lot of people waiting for God to do something. You're praying about it, believing that God is going to do something about your heartfelt pleas. As the singer-songwriter Sting wrote, you're sending an SOS. You know who Sting is, don't you? I mean, I am old and ancient now, but you should know who Sting is. One of, one of his quintessential songs was sending out an SOS. You see, you know that he can do it. You've read the book. You've heard testimonies. You've lived all your life surrounded by the stories of miracles. And at the very moment that you need one, there's nothing happening. It seems as though God is deaf. He hasn't answered. And if you are anything like me, you ask the question, why doesn't God do something about my SOS? I don't know what your SOS is. It could be a relationship issue. It could be job insecurities. It could be upsizing anxieties. It could be downsizing anxieties. A manager who's making your life hell. Maybe you're waiting today for a diagnosis. Maybe it's a financial challenge. A teenager who won't stop picking a fight, who's always pushing back on the boundaries. There's something in your family, something in your marriage, something with a relative or a neighbor. You're at a stage in life and the future seems uncertain. All of us, all of us face seasons. Why doesn't God do something about it? The reality is that even as God-fearing, Bible-reading, believing, people filled with the Holy Spirit, people, we go through seasons in our lives when we face these waiting seasons. When we know that God could do something about this issue, but he hasn't. We've seen him do it for others. We have faith for it, yet God doesn't do what we want him to do right now when we need him to do it. And so we end up waiting, and it's hard and it's awkward. Why are you making me wait? Why aren't you listening to my SOS? We're just going to watch a little video for a moment's light relief. Caleb, if you could help engineer that for me, I'd be very grateful. This is indeed very worth while watching. Right. Please insert the key. Yes, yes, I am inserting it. Thank you. Start! Please insert the key. I have inserted it, you pretty. Incorrect starting procedure. Right. This is your last warning. I'll count to three. One, two. Sorry, I didn't get that. Right. That's it. Don't sign and warn you, I've had it up to here with you. I'm gonna give you a damn good threshing. <laughs> you listen, nasty <laughs> Dusty bonnet there. <laughs> oh, look! Sometimes it does help to laugh when you're confronting uncomfortable truths, isn't it? But sometimes it is important to look again at the situation that we're in through different eyes, and that's my task this morning. Sometimes we need to adjust our perspective, get some faith by focals, 
to re-examine the context that we're in. And I've learned something in the last couple of days preparing for this morning's message. If you're taking notes, there's a good thought coming along, or you might want to, as is becoming the custom, and it's frightening a little bit, people take out their mobile phones and take a photograph of the slide. Your perspective is either your passport or your prison. Your perspective is either your passport or your prison. It is very much about perspective. And sometimes it's necessary just to take a moment and look at these SOS messages that we're crying out to God for. I'm not for one moment suggesting that you change the narrative, but what I'm wanting to suggest for a moment is two or three little signposts to help you navigate in this most normal of situations. If I might just say for a moment, if I had a hundred pounds for every time I prayed with someone who was waiting, who thinks that they are in sin because they're waiting or they've done something wrong to offend Almighty God, I would be a very, very rich man indeed. Please do not adopt the default position that there is something wrong with you because you're in a waiting situation, because you can be guaranteed that the enemy will pile in on the top of that and rub your nose in the butter, so to speak, as they say in Holland. Um, but this is, this is not the right perspective. I want you to think about this paradigm. With God, a waiting season is never a wasted season. With God, a waiting season is never a wasted season. Now turn with me in the Bible in whatever way you want to access it, either in print form or in electronic form. If you're going that way, all the very best. But um, if you would turn with me to John, uh, the chapter 11, this is a very well-known story. Uh, but this is very much the place for us to put on our bifocals, our faith bifocals this morning and ask the Holy Spirit to illuminate this in a way that helps us as we think about our SOS messages. This is a story about the death of Lazarus. I'm going to walk you through this. So just, uh, if you want, also close your eyes and just listen to the story. And we pray that God will bless this reading to our hearts. Verse 1, chapter 11 of the Gospel of John. Now, a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one that you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, the sickness will not end in death. This sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you, and yet you're going back. Jesus answered, 
Are there not 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see by the world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. After he said this, he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. Verse 14. And so then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. For your sake, I am glad I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Now, you life, notice that the language is very, very intimate here. They didn't even mention his name. They were certain this was in the bag. Jesus is healing people left and right all over the place. Jesus had been in our sitting room. He's going to sort this out. So they wait. Mary and Martha wait and they wait and Jesus doesn't show up. So they wait, sending up their SOSs again and again and again and again. Where are you, Jesus? Dawn comes the next day. He'll be here before lunch, they said to each other, surely. Is that him coming over the hill with his disciples? No, but we know that he is coming. We believe because we've seen him do this before. We have faith for this. They tweet another SOS. Jesus, where are you? There's no reply. Certainly we know that you will do this for us because you love us. We've expressed our love for you extravagantly. We know that you can do this, but where are you? So for those of us who have faith that God can do this, two things might be constructive in helping us build perspective this morning. He wants to do something in you before he does something for you. He wants to do something in you before he does something for you. You see, God's delays are not necessarily God's denials. As I've said, you're not being punished. In this context, in verse 4, we read, When he heard this, Jesus said, This sickness will not end in death. So therefore, as we read this scripture this morning, this presents a whole new category of understanding about the waiting game. Because what we're trying to discover here today is the truth that it's for God's glory so that God's Son might be glorified through it. God's delays are not necessarily God's denials. There's a bigger picture being worked out around this remarkable story. A divine delay may be God's orchestrated delay. He wants to do something in you before he does something for you. I want you to know this morning uh, that I have a number of very significant SOSs going on in my life. And Christine is at home with a severe chest infection and pleurisy. This is not a good time for my family. And as I wrestle with this scripture and my own SOSs, 
I want to freely testify that my patience is at a level that I normally don't operate at. And I'm depending on God today at a level that I don't normally operate at. And I'm calling upon his name at a level I don't normally operate at. And I'm being led into the imperative to walk by faith and not by sight at a level of experience that I normally don't operate at. And I'm required again to learn that his ways are far greater than my ways. And if it's not self-evident that when I am at my weakest, he is at his strongest in me and through me. So Mary and Martha are still waiting. They're sending up their SOS. Time goes by. Jesus still hasn't turned up. And Lazarus is really sick. Where is Jesus? What do we do? Why is this SOS not being answered? And then, in due time, Lazarus dies. They're left with no other alternative but to wrap his body. Four days later, and Jesus still hasn't shown up. So much for Jesus. Where is his comfort? What could we have done? What should we have done? Interestingly, Jewish superstition pointed towards the fact that for three days the spirit lingers in a dead body, but on the fourth he's dead, no help left. Turn again to the scriptures with me, John 11 verse 20. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, If you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Verse 25, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. And the one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Now, I'm sure Martha did go out to meet Jesus. I'm sure that she was not particularly uh, gentle in her uh, meeting with Jesus. Uh, Do you get the kind of sense of that? Where have you been? I was the one who poured out the very best I could. You were the only one I could go to when I cried out for you, when I sent you messages, when I sent you my SOS. Where have you been? There was a bit of an attitude there and a bit of finger pointing. She was spitting mad. You didn't get my text. You've had my expectations. You're supposed to be a miracle worker. Here's a thought to ponder on. If God always met your expectations, he'd never have the opportunity to exceed them. Am I communicating with you this morning? This is very uncomfortable reading. In verse 39, there was no hope for Lazarus. As a Bible scholar, I like to do comparative readings, so I went through several 
different translations of verse 39. So in the NIV, it says there was a bad odor arising. In the Living Bible, it says there is a terrible smell. In the 21st century King James Version, there is a stench. This man is dead. But my favorite Young's Living Translation said, Sir, already he stinketh. <laughs> so there was no need anymore for SOSs because Lazarus had left the house. That was verse 39. However, by verse 43, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the Almighty One that we were worshiping here this morning had spoken, the King had spoken. And when he has said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And everything changed in that moment. The stone was rolled away. I have something better for you, Jesus said. See, have you ever noticed this? Dead people don't hear. Dead people don't hear. The scene of your greatest disappointments will become the setting for God's greatest miracles. Am I being triumphalistic here this morning? <laughs> I don't think so. This is about realism. This is about humanity. This is about the bifocals of faith, looking upon the circumstances that are inconceivably, uncontrovertibly dead until the Lord enters it and speaks life into it. And he has the potential to do that in this moment, in my moment, as I call out to him for Christine and thousands of SOS messages that I bring to him every day. This morning, I can't promise you a miracle. I can't promise you a better year. I can't promise you an immediate SOS. So what do you do when you are waiting and you're in between verses 39 and 43? J.I. Packer, the great theologian, said this. He says, as a British man, he writes that Northern European-influenced culture has historically embraced the stiff upper lip of human behavior and habitually looks down on people whose voice personal, who voice personal complaints in public as morally inferior beings. The Bible seems by contrast to see the heart and it loves hopes and faith commitments as the seat of both reason and feeling. We are to offer and submit both our thoughts and our feelings to God in prayer. And Packer concludes, complaints are integral to this new regenerate life of communion and prayer. In other words, my Dear brothers and sisters this morning, if you have ever wrestled with prayer and you struggle with how honest you can be with God, the scriptures speak voluminously to us through the Psalms. If you read the Psalms, you can bang the table if you want. You can kick the bin. You can scream and yell and shout, and you will be accepted into the presence of God who cries over you in your waiting. But because he's God, he has a perspective that you and I don't have. He is still the miracle-working God. Nothing that I'm saying 
in this presentation to you this morning is to dilute your faith. It's to ask you to be honest with your faith and your God in the waiting for His divine purpose. I want to take you into the world of the persecuted church for a moment because they have been my teachers. And in Western culture, we don't seem to talk an awful lot about perseverance. We are, as I am, an impatient soul who expects the miracle-working God to behave like a slot machine, and that when I put in my 20p with my prayer and crank the handle, I expect the answer, and I expect four cherries instantly. But there is something greater at play here, and the Scriptures speak to us about perseverance in this manner. Turn with me to the book of Romans and the fifth chapter. May I just read this to you from the message paraphrase? It's probably verses one to about five. Close your eyes for a moment because purposefully I've been coming back to this phrase about your SOS, your SOS. So in your minds, there will be SOS messages that are echoing, multiples of SOS messages, if we're to be really honest with ourselves. Now let this, these verses of Scripture settle upon your waiting. Verse 1 of Romans 5. By entering through faith into what God has always wanted to do for us, Set us right with him. Make us fit for him. We have it all together with God because of our master Jesus. And that's not all. We throw open our doors to God and discover at the same moment that he has already thrown open his door to us. We find ourselves standing where we always hoped we might stand out in the wide open spaces of God's grace and glory, standing tall and shouting our praise. There's more to come. We continue to shout our praise even when we're hemmed in with troubles because we know how troubles can develop passionate patience in us and how that patience in us turns I beg your pardon, and how that patience in turn forges the tempered steel of virtue, keeping us alert from whatever God will do next. In alert expectancy such as this, we're never left feeling shortchanged. Quite the contrary, we can't round up enough containers to hold everything God generously pours into our lives through the Holy Spirit. <laughs> This morning, I'm pointing you towards a God who wants by his Holy Spirit to invest in us patience and grace, and in that, to, that long-suffering to create character and courage and perseverance to wait with him. This image comes from Yola in the northeast of Nigeria, where on that morning, I was asked to pray over 100 pastors, all of them 
had seen their congregations decimated by Boko Haram, their women violated, uh, terrible destruction. They'd come for a week's Bible study to restore their souls, and they asked me to pray and commission them to go back from where they came. And they were going back, possibly to face death, but they were going back as shepherds to take care of their flock. How many SOSs had they brought to the Lord? Were they weak because those SOSs had not yet been answered? Of course, they weren't weak. Well, yes, they were, but they were strong in God. This is a little picture of a group of mothers, the Chubok mothers, who kissed their daughters goodbye one day, and 200 of them have never seen their daughters since. How many SOSs have they sent up? And they're still waiting. This is one of the most precious images that I carry in my Bible, and they're three fathers of the Chuboks, girls. And maybe what I'm about to say is politically incorrect, but as men, we've been taught to fix everything that happens to our families. It's our job to lead and guide and look after our kids. How many SOSs have those men prayed for the release of their daughters? Are they, in some sense, not faithful, godly, upright Christians? There is nothing wrong with them. They have been visited with a situation that no human being should ever be invested upon. But they're being called upon to wait and to send their SOSs. As I conclude my message this morning, I want to offer a final subversive thought to you that's at work in my mind, and it's this, is that there is no such thing as an answered prayer. Because those prayers will be answered one day. They may be answered in the very presence of God himself, or they'll be answered at the time when the good Lord in heaven requires it to be such. Let me close then with some readings from Psalm 13. If you don't believe me about being open and honest with God, King David certainly did know what it meant to be open to God. Psalm 13. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart daily? How long will my enemy be exalted over me? Consider me and hear me, O Lord my God. Enlighten my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death, lest my enemy say, I have prevailed against thee. Lest those who trouble me rejoice when I am moved. But I have trusted in your mercy. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. That is how you deal in the waiting. That's how you deal waiting upon your SOSs. Beloved of Jesus, 
this morning. I have tried to be really honest with you because I think you deserve that. And I hope that you have heard faith in my heart, that I know that my wife is well cared for, that my son is well cared for. I know that there will come a day when the Chibok children will be returned to the arms of their brothers and sisters and mothers and fathers. I know that one day will come when the great injustices that are visited upon the persecuted church will be righted before the throne of God. I know that that is true because God is God. He is a God of love and mercy. He is a miracle-working God. But as you and I inevitably stand between verses 39 and 42, God calls us to be patient and for our faith to be refined and for our character to become more like Jesus and that as we persevere, there is the greatest potential that we will be a blessing to those who surround us as we wait on our SOSs being answered. Would you stand with me? Of course, of course, this morning, we want to direct your gaze towards praying along with those who pray their SOSs from the persecuted church world. That's our privilege because we're family together. When one part of the body hurts, the whole body hurts. But this morning, if you are struggling between verses 39 and 42, I would love the privilege to pray for you this morning. Um, if everyone would just close their eyes for just a second. If you are hard-pressed this morning, would you just quietly sit down for a second? I'm going to pray for you. Just sit down so that I know who I'm praying for. Just going to wait for a moment. In the balcony, you're included in this too. If you're hard-pressed, if your SOSs are not being heard, and you feel alone and forsaken, you're sitting down at the feet of Jesus as I pray <coughs> for you. Holy Spirit, Father, God, Jesus, Savior, Lover, of our souls, we invite you to come this morning in your great mercy to your beloved children and to bring your presence to them. Into the darkness of their experience, shine your light this morning, I pray. Put your hands around their hearts, Lord, and bring hope, I ask. Lord, where they have lost a sense of your presence, come now and pull back the curtains of that brokenness, I pray, and bring the grace of your loving mercy to their souls this morning. Where there is confliction, where there is despair, where there is lostness and dislocation, Jesus, come now by your Spirit and answer this prayer Draw near, we pray. Increase the sense of your presence in their lives, I ask. 
like the early morning dew, Lord, come, fall upon them, we pray. In your mercy, in your tenderness, in the generosity of your heart, Father, come this morning, I pray. Rest upon them. Great shepherd, may your rod and your staff comfort them today, supernaturally, I pray. And for those of us who stand before you in this extraordinary time in our world, Lord, bring your peace, I pray, the peace of God that passes all understanding. Be our fortress today and in the days that are to come. Be our resource. May we be men and women of faith and trust. Protect us from fear, we pray. Fill us with the faith of heaven. Hear us when we cry to you. Jesus, thank you for your presence here today. Be glorified. Be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening.